Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. We are continuing our celebration of horror with part two of my interviews from the Colorado Festival of Horror. And I'm really excited to bring you these two interviews uh, with Brink Stevens and Xander Smith. I just, I, I really love these two, and I really enjoyed sitting down and talking with both of them. First up is my interview with Brink Stevens. She is a legendary scream queen who you know from such films as Slumber Party Massacre, Teenage Exorcist, Scream Queen Hot Tub Party, and many, many more. She is an amazing, lovely human being, and I had so much fun sitting down and talking to her about her life in film and also chatting about um, her love of science and marine biology, which is what she originally went to school for. And so it was just a great, fascinating conversation. She's so sweet, so genuine, so nice. I could have talked to her for hours. So I really think you'll enjoy this interview. So here it is, my interview with Brink Stevens. Thank you so much. And I also want to add, right before this starts, we do talk a little bit about the Me Too movement and get into a little bit of that. So just a brief little warning about that. Thanks. Um, so I wanted to first get into, you know, as a woman in horror, what I thought was interesting at your Q&A that you said, that you found that all horror sets were like a family and very open, and you never experienced any kind of Me Too th- stuff or any kind of weird harassment or flirting or anything on horror sets. Mm-hmm. But other films, you did kind of experience that. Why do you think there's such a difference between those horror sets that you were on uh, compared to maybe some other things you went out for as a woman? Probably the main reason is because horror is such a small, close-knit community. Everyone knows everyone else. And you really can't get away with any bad behavior because you'll be censored by everyone else in the community. And, you know, not to say that I didn't date some of my producers or directors. I did. But it wasn't that they came on to me or made me feel like a sexual object. Whereas in the mainstream, um, boy, the early 80s, you know, before the Me Too movement, there was so much abuse going on where... I was hit on constantly, and the first time it happened, the guy said, um, well, you know, I'm pretty sure that I'll hire you for this role, but there's this other actress that's just as good, so what do you think would convince me? And I said, um, my talent? And, and he said, well, I had something else in mind. Why don't you come up to my house, and we'll go swimming, and my pool? And I said, well, how does that 
uh, have anything to do with my acting ability. (laughs) And I argued with him. He got really frustrated with me because I was trying to keep it professional. And he's trying to, you know, move in on me. And uh, it was just so funny. So then I realized what I was encountering here. And another audition for uh, a TV show, I go in and there's this heavyweight, sweaty kind of guy sitting behind the desk. He's the casting guy. And he uh, slides a Polaroid across the desk and I'm looking at it and I can't figure out what I'm seeing on this Polaroid. And then I realize that it's a picture he took holding the camera down, facing down on his lap and there's a woman's head in his lap giving him a blowjob. And he didn't say anything, but kind of tapped the picture and looked at me like, you know, and I'm just like, I literally fled in tears because I was there to audition for a TV show. And it was just so humiliating in those days to be a young, pretty girl and to be hit on like that. Later it changed to where more and more of the filmmakers were gay and I was hearing from my male friends that they were getting the casting couch. Yeah, and even straight guys would consider being sort of gay for pay just to get a job. Wow, wow, yeah. I mean, that's, I think in that industry, for some reason, it seems like people feel like it's more acceptable to do that kind of stuff, because it doesn't seem like it's like, you know, because it's like the, a fantasy world, and you can do whatever you got to take to get into that. Yeah, so. well, it was so male-dominated, yeah. and I'm really glad that women finally came forward, and we had the whole Me Too movement, and a lot of abuses were corrected, like Weinstein and all of that, because everybody knew about Weinstein and what he was doing. I had heard it way back. And it was just kind of, well, that's the way it has to be. But after people started coming forward and men started being put on the burner for this, uh, it really made things a lot better for women, where opportunities opened up that hadn't been there before. And I was offered several directing jobs. Uh, Charles Band at Full Moon wanted to do a remake of Sorority Babes in the Slimeball Bolorama. And I, uh, I was tapped to be a director on it, and I'm sure that his reasoning had something to do with let's hire a female director because it'll make us look good. But I was fine with that. You know, I'll take where and how I can get it. Yeah, yeah. Well, and also having, speaking of that with female directors, um, Slumber Party Massacre, which of course everybody knows your famous, wonderful, amazing death scene in there. Oh, thank you, yes. <laughs> and just you. I you died know. well. But having a woman direct that and then having the script be written by a woman, which I think some people actually forget that. Yeah. Um, What was the difference between working with, uh, because I know that was your first movie. It was. This was my first feature film. I'd only done one short film before that, so I was brand new at acting. My first movie is directed by a woman and written by a woman, and it's a slasher film where the women kind of best the killer in the end. So it was, um, you know, I thought maybe this is the, the standard now. I had no <laughs> idea how lucky I was to have that combination. And because of the women being involved, um, everybody was saying, oh, it's a feminist slasher movie. But we didn't set out to make a feminist movie. And in fact, Amy Jones kind of tried to be a guy as far as directing style where she didn't hold back. Um, She tried to have violence and blood and all of that because she knew that she was being sort of auditioned by Roger Corman 
as a director. And she really wanted to be an editor. I think she was an editor. But she wanted to um, just try her hand at directing and was acquired a slush pile of scripts. And one was called Sleepless Night, which became Slumber Party Massacre. And she liked that one. And she thought, well, I can do this. And so she did a sizzle reel. Um, where she shot some concept scenes and stuff of how she would do it. And Corman said, I love it, make a movie. So Roger Corman was really at the forefront of giving a lot of people chances. Women like Amy Jones, female writers like Rita Mae Brown, who was a, a novelist already, but I think this was one of her few and first screenplays. And of course, you know, uh, I got my start from Roger Corman in this movie, and so did Jack Nicholson, and so many people can contribute and say Roger Corman really helped me out. So he was a good guy. Yeah, and I think he doesn't get enough credit for that, because I think people kind of just think of him as, uh, you know, not as A low-budget filmmaker, maybe exploitation, and all of that. And you can make exploitation movies. You can do it tongue-in-cheek and have fun with it, but you can still be a really fair, good person. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's, I mean, that's amazing that you got that opportunity, and and what I think is also just so incredible about you is that you have so much agency over your career. I mean, you don't even have an agent. No, no. I had an agent at the beginning of my career. And I quickly realized that I was doing more for myself than he was. Like, I went into the office one day and I said, do you need more headshots? I haven't heard from you. And he said, no, I haven't been sending them out. I don't really like that picture. And I'm like, you could have told me. You could have exactly. said something. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, here's this guy, and, you know, the, the type of agents I could get when I was just starting out were the, the guys that if someone received an envelope with their return address on it, they'd put it in the trash without opening it. Like Jack Scagnetti, for example, they knew that he didn't have any good clients. So it was really tough to try to get an agent. And I had one agent, Roxanne, who specialized in body doubles. And I was willing to do nudity. Uh, it didn't bother me. So I got sent on a lot of things where I was uh, like an audition with Barbara Hershey for the entity. Uh, she didn't want to do nudity. So two of us were sent over to her, and we had to lift our blouses up. And uh, she picked the other girl because the other girl had larger breasts than she did. <laughs> and she's like, I want her. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I know, you know, it's kind of body parts. And then I was, um, I did a body double thing for Psycho 3, where um, one of the scenes was bad. It had bad lighting and they needed to reshoot it. And uh, Diana Scarwood was willing to do it, but she was in New York working on a play and couldn't come back to Hollywood. So the call went out and I matched her physically. So you see my butt. I think it's the first thing. Anthony Perkins is looking through a hole in the wall, spying on her character. And I think the first thing you see is my butt. And it was really funny because my next door neighbor said, was that your butt? <laughs> I'd recognize that anywhere. <laughs> that's funny. So that's the body part you're getting recognized. <laughs> I know. Yeah. That's funny. Um, well, I want to ask you, what draws you to a role? Like, what inspires you? Like, if you're reading scripts and you have to choose, like, what is going to draw you in? Mm -hmm. I started out doing a lot of victim roles, and 
It was fine. It was fun. You know, it, a lot of running in high heels and screaming and um, real action kind of stuff. But lately, I get more roles offered to me like um, doctors, professors, police commissioners, teachers, scientists. And I really like that. I just got offered a movie called Hellfire in January of 2022. It shoots in Texas. And the, the role was originally written for a man. It's The t- character is called Bob. And I'm really curious who first said, let's get Brink Stevens. She'd be perfect for this role. Because Bob is a retired police chief who has two ex-wives. And he sits around drinking beer and watching porn. <laughs> And I'm like, okay. And now we're having a discussion on how much they're going to rewrite the script to accommodate me. And the director thinks it'd be funny to just leave it the way it is and that I have two ex-wives. And I'm like, well, in Texas, would a police commissioner have two ex-wives, a woman, you know? Yeah, it has to be kind of realistic. And it's sort of a cliche. You know, you got to admit, a retired police guy watching porn and drinking beer. So I'm hoping that they'll rewrite it to some extent to better utilize my talent um, and not just make it a jokey kind of thing. But I just thought that was pretty funny that somebody read that and thought that thought of me. <laughs> but I understand because they wanted a name and that was a role that I could fit into. So I get that. Speaking of scientists, now that was originally what you wanted to do was, and you worked in science and you wanted to be in that field. And I know um, you said yesterday in your Q&A that whenever you're playing scientists, you actually use your real name, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, how do you feel about that field right now as far as like women getting into that field? And do you ever do, I, I know you don't work in that, but do you, do you ever do anything that kind of has anything to do with that? Or do you still research and stuff? Yeah. I um In 1976, I was accepted in graduate school at Scripps Institute of Oceanography. And I came in with a 4.0 grade point average. I had been president of mortar board. I joined every club. I really deliberately tried to get the best resume possible. I had double majored in biology and psychology, and I wanted to work with dolphins. Well, it was a miracle I got accepted at the school because um, Scripps had been an all-male school until only a year or two before I applied. And I was the only marine biology student that they admitted that year. And they said right away, we don't know what we're going to do with you. We don't have a major professor that we can give to you. Um, You're going to have to just kind of find your own way. And I tried. I attached myself to uh, Dr. Coyman, who was doing Um, research with fish, but there were a few seals that were around. So I started working with seals. I I preferred dolphins, but nobody wanted to talk to dolphins because they were slaughtering them in tuna nets in San Diego. Um, So I was working with seals, and um, the amount of prejudice that I encountered as a woman it was still the pat on the head, oh, you, you must have loved Flipper when you were a kid. And the thought that women are only in college to find a husband, and as soon as they do, they'll drop out. And so no one took me seriously. I, my whole two years at Scripps was just fraught with difficulty. 
And finally, they found a way to get rid of me. I started doing illicit research with dolphins at SeaWorld, and someone ratted on me, so they kicked me out of school with a master's degree, but I never finished my doctorate. But they never liked me from the beginning. They didn't want me there, and it was so obvious. Now, weirdly, times have changed, and the salaries have not risen that much for marine biologists. They're still so low that a man can't support a family on that kind of scientist's salary, but a single woman, it's fine for her. Now, most marine biologists are women. Single women, yeah. So since 76, things have changed radically, but boy, it was tough when I went into school there. Oh, I bet, yeah, and the sexism, like you said, mm -hmm. countering that. Yeah, well, I wanna know, just uh, to wrap up here, um, is what projects do you have coming up? Are there any things that you're really, really excited? I know you're going to go film something, yes. but any other projects coming out? Um, in a 10 days I go to Sacramento, California, and I'm working with a woman writer and director named Terry Don Arnold. I did a previous movie with her called Two Sisters, and uh, it, she's an award-winning female filmmaker, so I'm really excited to be working with her again. And I've got three more movies the rest of this year. Um, I get uh, bitten by a werewolf in one of them, and in another one I get killed by religious cultists. <laughs> Yeah, in fact, I die in all four of these movies. <laughs> so, yeah, you know, it's fun. And, and I've got several conventions. Um, Halloween is always a busy time, so I'll be all over the place next month, October for Halloween. But I love my life, and I always manage to stay busy. And, you know, because I do work in the low-budget indie field, I can't afford to retire. <laughs> so I've got to keep doing this for as long as somebody will hire me. <laughs> Well, but it's great that you keep doing it, that you love what you're doing. And, yes. Yeah, yeah, and I'm sure the indie world is sometimes, even though it's harder financially, um, as far as like when people are making stuff, I'm sure it's a lot more liberating. Yeah, it is. And, you know, in mainstream A-list movies, they don't want to hire women over 40. Mm -hmm. And it's still really true. You're not allowed to grow old. And that, uh, you know, people get all these really bad facelifts and stuff like that. And then you never hear of certain actresses like Cameron Diaz. Once they turn 40, they're gone. Meg Ryan. But in horror, um, it's just great. You know, I've never had any work done on my face. I'm, I show my age. And that's fine. You know, nobody cares. They hire me for those kind of parts. Retired police chief, stuff like that. And I love that about horror, where it's so much more accepting than mainstream films. Yeah, well, and you look awesome. Oh, thank you. You are so gorgeous. And I love all the photos, too, that you had down there. They're just... Amazing. Well, it's funny because um, my career spans 40 years, and I did a lot of my most famous work in the 80s. Mm -hmm. So I have movies for sale and photos from the 80s. And people will be looking at my table, and they'll look at the photos and look at me and go, is that you? And I, <laughs> and, and I feel a little insulted, like, why do you think I'm sitting here? Yeah, you know, and, and I, it makes me feel a little bad that, you know, 40 years ago I was young and beautiful. Beautiful. But, um, you know, I'm still me, and I'm honored at um, conventions like this. The Colorado Festival of Horror uh, has made me their guest of honor. And it's so nice to be part of this first-time show yeah. and to help in the creation and cementing its place in the world. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. Seriously, and you're beautiful. Oh, thanks. <laughs>
You're absolutely beautiful. So thank you so much. And seriously, if you ever are at a convention, again, anyone out there listening to us, to this episode, really go to a convention of Brink Stevens is there because she's amazing. So I look forward to meeting you guys out there. Thank you. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thank you again, Brink. I really, really enjoyed sitting down and talking with you, and maybe we'll have you back sometime. Thank you again. And lastly, we have my interview with Xander Smith. I just really, really like this guy. He's a very, very talented concept artist, a digital character designer, art director. He does some amazing, amazing work. And you have seen his work uh, in American Horror Story, Scream Queens, Godzilla vs. Kong, and other things as well. And I just really loved this conversation. I really enjoyed sitting down with him. So here it is, my interview with Sandra Smith. And it's funny because we actually just finished doing a celebration, more like an in-depth critique of Ryan Murphy shows not mm. too long ago. And one of them was, of course, American Horror Story. And I know you did a very interesting character design for season five for Hotel, <laughs> right? Didn't you do the one for Hotel with the interesting death in the very first episode? Uh, yes, I did. Yeah. You're welcome. <laughs> I know that first episode is like, okay, that's a little intense. Um, that's but, what I thought too. Oh, You're yeah. not alone in that. Yeah, yeah. Well, and it's supposed to be because it's American Horror Story. Oh, yeah. So what's that experience like working on those shows and mm-hmm. With yeah, no, I, I really appreciate that. Yeah, it's awesome to yeah be talking with you. And mm-hmm. yeah, especially since you know something about the show. Yes. Um, but yeah, I'd, I'd like that you went specifically for that character, of course. <laughs> it doesn't surprise me. Very memorable. Um, I will say that is one that even amongst all the American Horror Story mm-hmm. stuff I've done, that one stands out. Um, and I also, if you haven't picked up by now, I also get a bit hesitant to talk about it because he is a... Controversial character. Um, <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Do you want to maybe say like what we're talking about specifically? Yeah, I just didn't know how In graphic you wanted me to. But well, as Jen from my streaming bubble, she was on that episode with us, one of our panelists. She said, "My poor Schmidt from New Girl gets killed right away by well, a guy who has basically a very phallic device, <laughs> and you know, kills the guy by basically trigger warning out there, everybody, but basically by rape." And by right, isn't that exactly how you would? Is that how you would describe it? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. For better, yeah. Or for worse. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's it's interesting, right? So. Uh, yeah. So okay, with that character specifically, they knew that it's this is mm-hmm. really tricky territory, right? And mm-hmm. they want to go there because they want to do the most villainous thing that they can possibly do, and. They did, yes. <laughs> right? Um, so yeah, so no, they actually, you know, they kind of gave everyone a, um, you know, like a trigger warning mm-hmm. or, you know, just let people know this is what we're going to be working on, you know, and everyone um, got okay with the subject material. So I did appreciate that they, you know, want to do that for everyone. Um, so in my case, I'm being contracted out through a makeup effects studio okay. called AFX, um, mm-hmm. and it's run by the legendary David Anderson. And uh, Heather Langenkamp, who's the yeah, um, yeah the original mm-hmm. Scream Queen in Nightmare on Elm Street, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, Nancy. 
Exactly, Nancy. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and they're they're wonderful. So I worked with them pretty much through you know all the seasons um, that I was on. So yeah, so I, I bring that up because it's interesting. They have been in horror for forever. That's you know where they got their name yeah. from, and even they are like there are certain things that we know are bear with me important topics, right? Mm -hmm. There are things that we do need to talk about. Um, because of their very nature. They are the very worst aspects of humanity. And it's important that we explore those aspects in our media, it really is. Mm -hmm. um, because that's the only way we can get exposure, talk about things, you know, have conversations like this. Um, and so we talked that through, and I have no doubt that every other department on it is also talking about these things. Um, so anyhow, I read the script, I read those moments. Mm -hmm. It's a little, you know, in the script it's a little more brash. Um, <laughs> I think in the script they literally called it a drill dough which yeah. is uh, what the demon is wearing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so I read it, and like I said, it obviously stands out to me because mm -hmm. I've designed lots of horrific things, but there's tears to it, right? Uh, it's one thing when you're Jason, you're slashing people. It's another thing when you're yeah, engaging yeah. in. Yeah. Um, so I did feel strange designing this thing. So I did sketches. Um, they sent me images of the, of the actor, who is like a phenomenal... I, well, I'm not getting this wrong. Uh, I think he's a contortionist, so he can do these oh, just yeah. wretched movements, right? So we got pictures of him, and I start sketching on top, get some of those, and I get to the drill dough part, and I, you know, I, I kind of put aside the horrific nature of it, and I'm like, you know what? I want to design this properly. I want mm -hmm. it to be something that is evil. It's demonic. So yeah, uh, got the 3D, built the thing. Uh, Ryan Murphy approved it. Everyone is like, that's it. That's absolutely horrendous. Um, and that's what we see in the final product. Mm -hmm. And now whenever someone talks about it, I feel the need to be like, I'm sorry, but you're welcome. It was, you know, yeah. it was fun as well. Well, you did your job though. That was your job. 100%, and you did it yeah. really, really well. Cause it is one Thank of the you. most disturbing scenes to watch, but that's, I think that's a compliment though. That's not like a, yeah, in a know, way, yeah. if it sure. was like, oh, that's just kind of yawn. I've seen that a hundred thousand times before then you know I mean it does take because a lot of in a lot of slasher films you can say also you could say like the knife is phallic you could say a lot of symbols mm, and that's those are phallic yeah. as well and with this it's literally that so it's like an interesting yeah. way to take it and yeah because I know in a lot of American Horror Story we talked about that a lot he does have a lot of sexual assault within a lot of his stories I think probably happens at least once a season, if not more than that. Probably. So it's an interesting way to just take that concept of there are a lot of, there's a lot of phallic imagery already in horror, and then if you take it the literal sense. But I think it's awesome that they did trigger warnings for that before they had you do those designs. That's, mm -hmm. I was and wondering about I don't that. know that they said trigger warnings. That's like a <laughs> but, new term for But me, they went but... like over what Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, people... Yeah. You know the material you're dealing mm -hmm. with. Um, you know the impact it's going to yeah. have. Um, and you want to make sure that, you know, everyone is, how do you say this? Like talking about it in a way that's constructive mm -hmm. and not, I mean, I, I'm sure no one got the sense that that's glorifying anything. It's like there to be able to, you know, discuss these, these kinds of topics, mm -hmm. right. And spark podcasts like this. Yeah. And not making it, not making it gratuitous or not making yeah. it where it's like, this is sexy to watch this because oh, it's yeah, yeah, no. not yeah. at all, but some people do film stuff like that where it's like okay that's it's very true be, yeah, it's a whole spectrum that way exactly yeah 100 yeah. 
Yeah. Well, thank you so much for going into that. Seriously, that was a lot more than I thought it was going to get. So thank you. But going back, I just want to know, how did you sort of get into this field? What mm-hmm. drew you into this field? Um, yeah, I mean, I've been drawing since I was, you know, two years old, mm-hmm. maybe even younger. Um, I had extraordinarily supportive parents, uh, Brett and Jeannie Smith, who are, you know, some of the co-founders mm-hmm. of Colorado Festival of Horror. Um, and they, yeah, they never said no to any of the weird stuff I wanted to draw or, you know, they're very supportive. So, you know, I got into clay and mm-hmm. oils and, you know, everything I could possibly want and, you know, did all the, you know, artsy high school classes like three times over each. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, it was natural. It was more like I felt like I didn't have a decision. I had to go become excellent at art to make a living because otherwise I'm going to be doing art yeah. regardless and not making a living. Um so yeah, it was more of an obsession, a little bit of passion, but mostly obsession, you know, 14-hour days for a decade. Um, and yeah, my favorite medium is, uh, is film or television. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, as far as storytelling goes, I was like, I know that's where I need to be. Um, I know I need to work on more of a digital portfolio because there's no rules in the digital world, right? Yeah. Um, so you can do things like, uh, like horrible phallic demons, <laughs> um, but also lots of other cool mm-hmm. stuff. Um, so yeah, that's the medium I went into. Uh, I went into um, 3D design uh, both together. So I'm very fortunate. I've had an excellent career where I've been able to explore pretty much whatever I've wanted. I've worked in 3D printing. I've worked in VFX. Mm-hmm. Um, concept art's kind of my bread and butter. Um, worked in a variety of different industries, video games, film, television, illustration, comics. Damn, I'm yeah. very fortunate. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah, now I have the, uh, the pleasure of Going into things like uh, digital fashion is what I'm currently working on. Um, got some films coming up. I'm getting into the NFT space. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how it's starting, yeah. where it's going. Awesome. Yeah. Well, and I encourage everybody to go and follow Xander on Thank Instagram, you. and then go to his website and look at some of his work because it's really some of some of that work on there is really incredible. And I don't know if anybody ever puts this out, but the 3D art, I loved the, is it an alligator or is it a crocodile that you did that 3D thing? <laughs> now uh, crocodile. Okay, yeah. I loved that. For some reason that just really oh, stuck out to me. Oh, that means a lot to me, to me. thank yeah, you. Yeah, so really, really awesome, amazing work. Um, and I know a lot of, you had a lot of female models on there as well. Mm-hmm. And then since we cover a lot of stuff from the female perspective, mm-hmm. and we're actually gonna have an interview coming up soon with, I don't know if you know Munster Midian from Oh, it sounds familiar. Um, Monster of Effects, and she does, like, her name is Midian Crosby. Okay. And she does a lot of special effects. She's worked on, like, The Walking Dead and stuff oh, like that. And she's awesome. out of Atlanta. Okay. And um, I actually went to high school with her, but I was talking to her a lot about working as a female in the industry. Mm-hmm. And so are there a lot of women that, that you've worked with or that you've, um, like, that are also concept artists? Or how does that work with... Yeah, yeah. So you're you're kind of asking about like demographics. Mm-hmm. Yeah, or if you've ever had experience working with, or do you find that there are a lot of women in that industry? Or, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's kind of a uh, an open <laughs> topic. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I'll give you my thoughts on it. So yeah, it's interesting. So entertainment obviously is like uh, like a very fifty fifty demographic. Mm-hmm. There's there's entertainment that everyone's going to engage in, whereas um, you know, there's plenty of different industries that just peak different interests, right? Yeah. But I'm fortunate enough that I'm in an industry that peaks everyone. So it's very multicultural. Uh, the ages range, mm-hmm. you know, all the way from young people like me, uh, all the way to, you know, the classics. Um, and of, of course, men and women as well. Yeah. Um, but what is very interesting that I've found is what interests people and kind of what guides them to go places. So 
when I'm on an American Horror Story, mm -hmm. I'm working with like the Costume Designers Guild, it's 80, 90, maybe even more, 100% women. Yeah. Um, and that's a very interesting perspective, which you know, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and just, yeah, it's interesting just like how, uh, you know, they're going to be thinking about things. Mm -hmm. And I'd be curious, your perspective, I'm not totally certain that's like, them being female, it might, you know, have to do with like what the, the medium is, mm -hmm. what the, you know, what that project currently is. Um, but, you know, I'm sure there is something to, you know, uh, how, um, you know, a man or a woman would approach like a design project, right? Mm -hmm. um, so then kind of on the other side of things, um, you know, like, let's just say like, if I'm on like a video game, yeah. that's like the polar opposite. Now that becomes like, 90, you know, 95% men. Mm -hmm. um, and that also, as you can imagine, has like um, a very distinct, unique way of looking at things, solving yeah. problems. Um, so I'm fortunate to kind of be in both. Um, there's a ton of spectrum in between. It's not, you know, mm -hmm. you know, polar opposite. Um, most of the studios I'm at, I would say, you know, I'm in, you know, some technical work as well. So the more kind of, you know, computer nerdy stuff mm -hmm. it gets, the more I think it kind of gets a bit male dominated. Um, but I'm very fortunate. I've been able to work with, you know, everyone. Um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? Does that kind of answer the question? No, it really does. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I know we were talking about that a little bit beforehand. So I just wanted to pick up on that a little bit. That, yeah, and since we are a podcast that covers that as well, just seeing if you had seen people in your industry or, or women or if it had been changing or picking up at all or mm. anything that you had kind of observed in that area. I can tell you about um, the change too. That's an interesting question. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. okay. So, um, yeah, so this is very interesting. Um, I think, <laughs> probably for good reason, most artists have kind of a, a trajectory where, you know, you kind of go through, you know, like a, a time with your parents where mm -hmm. they're kind of like, do you really want to do this? Like, you know, maybe you want to think about, you know, making money and having yeah. a solid career, that kind of thing. Um, so I think that affects everyone. But um, I think that there is um, a difference between like a young man and a young woman going through that, right? Mm -hmm. um, I think planning out the life trajectory for each of the genders has to be different, we live different lives, right? And so part of me and some of the friends I have, um, some of the uh, female friends I've had, um, have kind of described it like, we have those natural artistic pressures, mm -hmm. but then we also have pressures that a woman would have, right? Like to have kids and a family and stuff like that. Um, and I mean, I have those pressures too, but I, I think, I just, I get the impression it's very different, right? Yeah, very, very, very yeah. different. Mm -hmm. And so I think what's happening is that because the, industry is obviously more inclusive and mm -hmm. it's growing and more people are able to participate um, and it's obviously much bigger right so there's mm -hmm. more opportunity um, I have heard a lot of uh, female friends say that they are I guess you'd say like uh, you know able to kind of overcome those pressures mm -hmm. and are now realizing oh I can actually do both you can make a living you know you can actually you know have this as a career and afford yourself the time the lifestyle to also have the family and stuff like that mm -hmm. um, and so you know I've only been in the industry a decade but I have seen a lot of young women um, that I've hired or that have hired me who have really kind of able to you know had it all mm -hmm. or have it all um, so I don't know I, I kind of see a really uh, positive trajectory for all the artists but you know specifically to the topic um, yeah. yeah young women being able to pursue what they want um, and have that, that upward mobility trajectory because at the end of the day, it's art. Art is very meritocratic. So if you're good, you're going to go get hired. Mm -hmm. And I mean, 
even just here at the convention, there's got to be close to a 50-50 split, men and women artists. Oh, yeah. um, one of my favorite artists who I actually just met the uh, other day here, her name is Cachet, mm-hmm. um, and she is an absolutely brilliant uh, uh, inking pencil artist. Uh, hopefully I'm doing her title justice. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's, uh, I, I bring her up because it's really nice to see um, you know, people being able to say, I can actually do all of this. This is actually a legitimate trajectory. Mm-hmm. And the future is looking bright as more and more people realize that and can participate and contribute. Yeah, yeah. No, awesome. That's wonderful to hear. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. And you find that, you know, I've, I've brought it up a couple times this weekend that, you know, also in the horror community, um, it can be hard sometimes to be a fan of horror as a woman because other fans, not necessarily creators, but uh-huh. other fans can be a little bit like, no, this is a male thing and women don't like this. That still happens occasionally to Yeah, I'd like to hear more women. about that. Um, well, it's like, for instance, I, I was at the Atlanta Women in Horror Film Festival in Atlanta mm-hmm. a couple years ago. And it was a, there wasn't as much turnout, especially by men. There were tons of women there to watch this, but not many men. Because talking to a couple people, they were like, well, men just think this isn't going to be scary. There's not going to be any terrifying stuff because women are creating this stuff. And I'm like, we saw some very terrifying yeah, things. Yeah, I was going to say, like, is, is that true? Does that have any no, truth to it? No, that's not it's true just an assumption? At all. It's just, yeah, it's just an assumption. So I like the fact that, like, like with you and with every horror creator that I have talked to that's male, I've never found that where it's like um, they're not including women or they don't want to hear from women. I think it's more something with the fans because you can kind of run into that where it's like, okay, why, why are you here? This is that's interesting. Yeah, which is just a, it, and it, and it's something that you know happens a lot in like science fiction and when we covered Star Trek on my show, I was told for a long time beforehand, don't do that on your show as a woman. You are going to get attacked online. You're going to get. So really? I so I held off on doing it for a but while. Does yeah. it, it has to do with like like you being a woman having commentary on mm-hmm. that specific? Yeah, and having IP. other women on there that are talking about that. Yeah, that's so interesting. You yeah. get backlash. Yeah, but from men. Yeah, they think they you know they want to say well you're not really a fan of this. That's so interesting. Yeah, and part yeah, of my ignorance, totally but no, so they're cool. they're saying because you're women, it's mm-hmm. not like other reasons. Yeah, and like, they don't exactly come out and say that. It's more like the way out. you're being attacked, or the way you're being quizzed, or the way you're being questioned on things. You know, happens with we talked about female gaming not too long ago. What happens in that world, mm-hmm. and you know, where it is that thing of like, okay, well, when, shouldn't you just be you know like baking cookies, or shouldn't you just be watching rom coms? And what the fuck, someone said that to you? Baking <laughs> it's cookies? like along those lines, not. To me, no, but but I've heard that before. Yeah, 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 but it's along those kind of lines. So it's nice um, that the creators that I haven't seen that from the creators. I'm not saying that doesn't exist because of course it probably exists. For sure. But it's just nice thing. So I just throwing that out there as a thank you for at least for listening and for talking about that. Oh yeah, hundred percent. I mean, you tell me if this is controversial at all, but I'm like. If you're good at what you do, and mm-hmm. you're passionate, you like mm-hmm. it, you should be there. And yeah. my, you know, I'm only 10 years in, but in my experience, that is completely wrong true. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I completely, completely agree. So I'm curious, what's your favorite character you've ever designed? Oh, shit. Well, <laughs> of my own? I can't, like, yes, say other, other artists? Of your own. And then you can say other artists. Okay. Or if you want to give it a second for yours, you can say other artists. Yeah, damn, I don't one. know. It's tough. Because whenever I'm designing, I'm like... <laughs> You know, I put in all this effort, and I'm like, 
ah, but I could have done it better, you know. Well, of course, we're always our own worst critic. I know, like a true artist. Mm -hmm. Um, I'll tell you, like, what I've had, like, the most, like, fun designing. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, it's obviously, like, character, but when I'm able to do, like, character plus costume, and I read a script, and I'm, like, working with all the departments, like, that's the best, you know, it's a big collaborative Mm -hmm. effort. Um, I'll say, I'll bring up American Horror Story again. Um, So, the costume designer that I work very closely with her name is uh, Lou Eric and mm-hmm. she is a multiple Emmy Award winner she's absolutely incredible and she's like man when she's designing it's like it's almost like watching like a like a boxing match she's so like cutthroat <laughs> get in there and figure out the design um so yeah like the the plague doctor that I did mm-hmm. uh, that was completely you know me and Lou you know figuring all that out um we're the first people to ever do a uh you know a see-through plague yeah. doctor mask um so yeah it's cool um so yeah, things like that. So with that plague doctor, it's like I'm doing the costuming. Mm-hmm. We're considering makeup with AFX. Um, you know, we we knew that it was going to be going on Kathy Bates and the other actors. So unfortunately, I didn't get to meet her. But oh, that's too bad. I know that would have been that would have been incredible. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's all those things kind of yeah. combining. So when I have the rare opportunity that I can kind of be the concept artist in the center of mm-hmm. all that, I mean, that's. Yeah, that's a dream. Yeah, awesome, awesome. And so from other creators, so who are like oh, your yeah. idols? Yeah, 100%. So you know what? I actually have two characters that stand out to me, but for very different reasons. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the first one's more of just a childhood. I thought it was like the coolest aesthetic. Um, is uh, Pinhead from Hellraiser. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, obviously. Uh, it's just, it's iconic. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, I think, uh, for a little bit deeper reasons, um, I really like the character uh, Ellen Ripley. Uh, from mm-hmm. the original, you know, the Alien series. Uh, my dad showed me that when I was, like, very little, and it changed everything. And so I just think that uh, what Sigourney Weaver has done with that character is just, I mean, it's its one of the most brilliant portrayals, brilliantly written characters that has stood the test of time yeah. for good reason. Yeah, definitely. And I hope to make a character that powerful one day, just once, and then I'll be... Just- yeah, <laughs> I was going to ask you what your dreams, and you just kind of answered it, it there. Yeah, yes, 100%. yes, yes, which makes sense because then you'll have a legacy character that yeah, live I want to on touch and people, on and on. Man. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's very cool to you know see everyone here coming together, everyone enjoying you know all yeah. the IPs together. So yeah, be incredible if I could just have a part in that. Yeah, well, I'm sure you'll do that someday. Seriously, Thank your you. your work is really, really, really good. So you should be really proud of yourself. Thank you. So. Thank you. I'm trying every day. Yeah, yeah. It can be hard, but yeah. So I know you talked a little bit about your upcoming projects, but is there any other project you want to just mm. give a shout out to or something that's coming or maybe even something that's under the radar or anything like that? that yeah, hundred percent. Um, I have two really interesting projects. They're not exactly like film or horror related though. Is that okay? Oh yeah, no. Okay. I, we well, cover everything. So it's um, fine. Yeah. I mean, film and television is my bread and butter, mm-hmm. but it is very much like a, you know, a gig economy. So it's not okay. like, I mean, in some cases, right? But uh, it's not like you get hired and you're mm-hmm. there full time. So it's projects come to you. Um, so, I mean, I have, you know, some current kind of films or television shows I'm in talks with, you know, could mm-hmm. happen. Unfortunately, I can't say too much yeah. more. Um, so that's the film angle. Um, but I do have a really interesting project. I'm working with uh, a team in London. Uh, their company is called Ouroboros. I'm doing some art directing for them. Um, and... You know, this is actually good for the podcast. I just, I didn't think about this. So <laughs> they're uh, actually um, a duo of uh, young women working in the tech and digital fashion space. Uh, their names are uh, Paula Cello and, um, oh, I forget our developer's name. We just, we just started. Um, Alyssa Albacova. Um, and they're brilliant. So they come out into this digital fashion space, mm-hmm. which is very new, right? Uh the NFT craze just started. Everyone's figuring out, like, what do you even do with digital fashion? 
and they figured out what to do with it. So they came out with their first collection. They have this, you know, six yeah. digital pieces, and it is extremely well. They get partnerships with Snapchat and you know all these fashion companies. Things are going. Um, and so they contacted me, and they were like, "Would you like to design an avatar to wear some of our outfits?" Because they saw some, you know, creatures mm -hmm. in the portfolio. And I was like, "Absolutely, I love fashion. You know, uh, you can probably tell from the portfolio." Yeah. Um, and it's it's a completely new space. And these are two. I think they're like they're a little younger than me even. So and they're two like super ambitious. You know, mm -hmm. interested in the space. So I couldn't say no. So I'm uh, currently art directing uh, their second line. We're going to have 14 completely digital pieces with seven completely unique avatars. It's going to be absolutely unlike anything you've ever seen in fashion on the runway. It will be completely digital. Uh, you can tell I'm very excited for it. Yeah. So, yeah, oh, future's awesome. looking bright. Awesome. Well, I look forward to that and all your other projects and everything. And yeah, and sometime I would love to sit down and talk to you longer about yeah, this stuff. So thank you. Are we you. calling it already? You don't have like a super well, controversial have... question to hit me with? <laughs> I'm like, what's super cut? I know. I'm like, I have to because I want to give her a chance to come in here. <laughs> No questions. Yeah, I'll think of some really super controversial right, questions. <laughs> come on for season two. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you again to Brink Stevens and Xander Smith for sitting down and taking the time to talk to me. I really enjoyed both those conversations. And yeah, I, I, and I enjoyed all my conversations. I just want to give another shout out to Brian, to Lorraine, to Jimmy, to Brink, and to Xander. Just it, it was so much fun um, getting to hear from such creative and wonderful and amazing human beings. And I just feel so blessed that I was able to do that. So thank you. And then I want to give a big shout out to Colorado Festival of Horror for their inaugural event, which I think went off really well. And I just love, I just loved it. I had so much fun. I can't wait for next year. So, and a big special shout out to Brett, who helped organize the whole event, and to Smurf, who was helping run the media room, who made me and my team feel so welcome uh, to the event. And just great guy, great people. So hats off to both of you, really. Thank you again. And I can't wait for next year's event. Okay, well, remember, you can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at facebook.com slash it's a fandom thing pod. On Twitter at fandom thing pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at it's a fandom thing pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, if you would like to be a potential interview guest on the show, feel free to reach out to us at it's a fandom thing pod at gmail.com. And tomorrow night at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time, since this episode's dropping on Friday, join us for night three of our horror trivia event, Werewolves. And like I said on our last episode, I'm not going all out on my costume on this one. I'm like, I've got to give myself a little bit of a break. I've got to do 10 costumes. Um, and of course, signups have closed, but these events are so much fun. And you can find like links to the actual events on our Facebook page. Um, and Instagram as well. We've posted like the links to like the um, cocktails, the thing cocktails and mocktails for each event. And so you'll see that on our Instagram page. And um, I'll also share the link. It should be in our link tree as well. And Chrissy, one of the contestants came up with these and they're just, it's just incredible that she did that. So it's just amazing. So tune in on our YouTube channel or on our Facebook page for our night three tomorrow at 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. And next week, we are continuing our horror celebration with a look at Stephen King. So that'll be just me and Paula just discussing Stephen King, his books, probably film adaptations as well. So that'll be an interesting conversation. And then next Friday, I'm very excited 
because we are recording an episode this weekend with two guys that I just adore to pieces, Roman and Tyler, who were on, of course, earlier this year for a great interview. Please go listen to it and then please go watch their amazing documentary that they directed, Screen Queen, My Nightmare on Elm Street. And we are going to be talking about queer horror. So I'm so excited to sit down with them again and to talk about this subject. So it should be a lot of fun. I'm just just blessed. So until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing. Black Lives Matter and Stop Asian Hate. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com